Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem for our Wednesday night Bible study. Thanks for joining us, wherever you are, and hope that you feel a little connected to us and to the Word and to the community in Jerusalem, because uh, we do. And uh, we acknowledge that, that the Lord himself is present amongst us, and that's an absolute joy. We honor him, um, not just by studying his word, which is a form of worship, but through the act of prayer and, uh, and praise. And Brother Andrew from South Africa will uh, lead us in our opening prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that you are with us wherever we are around the world. We thank you for this privilege of being together to study this ancient document that you have given us to reveal yourself to us, to reveal your character to us, to reveal your love for us. Uh, so we acknowledge that you are God of all and that you are the only true God. And we also acknowledge as we read this text that we need to bring our sin to you, bring our unintended sin and even the intended things we need to bring to you uh, for, for your forgiveness. And we pray that our penitent hearts might be a pleasing sacrifice to you. So we thank you for Aaron and his leadership. And we thank you for each one on this group uh, that we can wrestle with your word together. And I pray that it might help us to stand in all, all of you, not just to um, be an edifying exercise, but that we might really learn to honor you more in every moment of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, brother, for that great prayer. Uh, as is our tradition, we uh, go over our notes and summary of our discussion from last week, where uh, we got through at least the first five verses. At least that's what I um, took a lot of notes for. Uh, summary is attached. And for those that are listening on the podcast, that's also attached. So we studied Leviticus 18. Here is a summary of the first five verses. This chapter is one of the Bible's most extensive and direct passages reflecting the will of the Lord and God's desire regarding human sexuality. Leviticus, like all five books of Moses, is often called the Mosaic Law. Now, this label can be misleading in that these are not the laws of Moses, they are the laws of God. According to the chiastic structure of Leviticus, the climax of the book is in chapter 19, the next one. The chapters prior and after, uh, 18 and 20, concern themselves with the prohibitions of various sexual relationships and the punishments awarded should such activity be conducted by the Israelites. Chapter 18 describes things we should not do and chapter 20 describes what happens if we really do them. These rules to human sexuality stand in the midst of commandments that are uniquely directed towards Israel and temple worship. Yet, they still express the heart of God towards all human sexuality. 
Most of the instructions are to the men or the father of the family on how to treat and respect women in regard to intimate relationships. The latter portion includes instructions for both males and females regarding homosexuality and bestiality. Interestingly, the family cohesion and obedience is essential to the land itself, with the breakdown of that covenant relationships within the family affecting the earth in a severe negative way. The chapter begins with the Lord addressing Moses, who will speak on his behalf to the Israelites. God begins the chapter begins with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. As Rashi comments, we accept his sovereignty, now we accept his ordinances. As Jesus comments in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? The Israelites are instructed to not do as Egyptians do, which is where they had just come from, and to not do as the Canaanites do, which is where they are about to go. The references to Egypt and Canaan in this context is actually unique in the scripture. Why mention these nations in particular and not simply state the prohibitions of the Torah? Jewish exegesis comments that the conduct of these two nations were the most abominable and depraved in all the world at that time. Hence, the land where Israel dwelt was the most depraved and the place to where they were going was also the most depraved, which begs the question, why? Why does God send Israel into the lands of darkness? For it is in the darkness that the light shines all the more brighter. The calling of Israel was and is to be a light to the nations. One of the dark differences between the deeds of darkness and the deeds of light is that when you are in the darkness, you can see what is happening in the light. However, when you are in the light, you can't see what is happening in the darkness. The light is both a shield and a guide. Even during the period of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites were meant to be light to those living in darkness. Another way of looking at this issue is, <clears throat> if you continue to behave as the Egyptians do, then why did I bother to bring you out of Egypt? And if you behave as the Canaanites do, then why should I bother to remove them from before you? A spiritual application for us resonates like this. We are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We are to affect the world while not letting the world affect us. Seven times in Leviticus 18, the Israelites are commanded not to act like other nations. Perhaps our churches should try not to be relevant to the world by being like the world. The Lord concludes his introduction to these commandments with the injunction that whoever does them will live by them. Which life is being referred to here? What are the connections between doing and living by these instructions? Commentators throughout the ages are not agreed on the meaning of this verse. Typical. A man will naturally, eventually die even if he follows the commandments of God. Some commentators use this verse to support their argument that keeping the law results in eternal life in the world to come, which I think, personally, is reading a little too much into the text. We should note that God is addressing his people who are already in a relationship with him. 
following the commandments does not grant access to a relationship with God. The relationship already exists. Israel is not instructed to obey to become the people of God. Rather, because they are the people of God, they will obey. Doing anything for the Lord is the correct response to what the Lord has done for us. It is difficult to show gratitude for something by doing absolutely nothing. Habakkuk 2.4 likewise declares that the righteous, even though no one is righteous, no, not one, cheeky grin, will live by his faithfulness. This is not living into a future reality, but in the present, which ultimately leads into the future. Obedience is not the method of obtaining God's grace. Instead, walking in his ways is the method of enjoying life in God's presence, both now and in the world to come. Now, as a final Hebraic note, in modern Jewish prayer life, there's a series of prayers of repentance called the Slichot. They reflect the injunction to be holy before the Lord and to reflect his holiness before others. And in the case of Leviticus 18, with human sexuality. Slichot, the penitential prayers, are said on the high holidays. And they include this declaration. The soul is yours and the body is your work. Have mercy upon your labor. In the commentary to the Slichot, they note that I am the Lord your God reflects the creator's call. Your soul is mine. And your body is mine. Please do not corrupt the fruit of my labor. So let's see how we can really corrupt the fruit of God's labor by um, seeing what we're not supposed to do. All right. So <clears throat> my apologies. We've got to read, read all this stuff um, again. So here we go. Leviticus 18 verse 6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, uh, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, which is your son's wife, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. You shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness. While her sister is still alive, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanliness. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. 
you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and you do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns with you, or the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among the people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. All right. So <clears throat> let's start the discussion. Verse 6. Uh, we begin to get a series of um, uh, <coughs> sexual injunctions about, about uh, relatives, close relatives. And uh, we're using the phrase, we are not allowed to uncover nakedness. Um, and you can't uncover the nakedness of your father. So what does that phrase mean, do you think? You mean verse 6? Six? 6 and 7. You shall not uncover the nakedness uh, of, of a close relative. And then it begins by definitely saying, we'll start with your dad. You, you certainly won't uncover the nakedness of your father. Think of Noah right away. Okay, you thought of Noah. Now, that was because of the, the, the phraseology, right? Yeah. Okay. So, Mordecai, what, what in, when, when you, as a rabbi, when someone says, uncover your nakedness, what, what do you jump to? Uh, first of all, that means uh, basically having a relationship with them. But if you look at the Hebrew text, it's double-ish-ish. So, basically, the meaning of it is that this commandment applies to men as well as women. So it applies to everybody. It's not like only men shouldn't go and undercover uh, her, I mean, his uh, closet less nakedness, but also the woman. Women should do, do too. But here the Bible's uh, language is so naive, but it basically means you shouldn't have any. Okay. So, <clears throat> Roddy, you mentioned Noah, which is uh, Genesis 9, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in that, in that encounter, um, what do we get? We get the phrase. Um, uh, now, these are the sons of Noah. This is Genesis 9, 18, who went out of the ark. They were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. So what's the, the interesting point out of that sentence is that for some reason only Ham gets listed as having kids. Right? There could be there was anyone that did, but um, Shem and Ham, uh, Shem and Yafeth don't get kids mentioned at the moment. Right. And uh, these were the sons of Noah. Who are the these? Shem, Ham, and Yafeth, and, and Canaan. 
So even though he's a descendant of Ham, he's still counted as in the B'nai Noach, the, the genealogy of, of Noah. So these are the sons, and from these the whole earth was populated. Noah began to be a farmer. He plants a vineyard, and when he drank the wine, he was drunk, and he became <clears throat> uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, mentioned that once again, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. So what's going on? Does the original verse say, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father or even discover it? Because there may be two different things going on. Okay. Spoken like a good lawyer. Okay. (laughs) Has he discovered this or has he actually done something? And what it's interesting is, uh, Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it on both their shoulders. They went backwards and they covered the nakedness of their father. So they, there is this idea of definitely looking, discovering, and seeing totally, totally, totally. Uh, their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So that there is definitely the implication there. It's just visual, right? Discovery. So Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his younger son had done somehow. You know what? And then he gets this interesting curse. Cursed be Canaan, not cursed be Ham. Uh, right. And then there's those the sages, or those, there's a midrash, I don't know, that says that either either he did something with the father right. or with the mom with the mom. Right. It could be the father and the mother, but the, but who actually does the deed? The son. Correct, Canaan. Because it's not cursed be Ham, it's cursed be Canaan. Right, and and uh, but there is something going on. That you're right, Yvonne. There's a mid. There's a, a various midrashim which discuss what actually is is going on here. This uncovering of the of the nakedness, and um and the the, the text in Leviticus sometimes doesn't make it clear because it says, verse seven, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. Great, which is the nakedness of your mother. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. So it could be, yes, that depending on your midrash, depending on the way you wanted to look at it, actually, uh, Canaan. You're saying Ham maybe found Canaan with the father and he didn't do anything about it, but then the, the brothers did? So, correct. So there's several, right, several interpretations discussed. And they say um, Ham actually went in and he saw something inappropriate happening. Okay. And then there's, the, then, then there's a, a segue. Was was it something inappropriate with dad, or was something inappropriate with mum? Because the because the note here in Leviticus is there's a lot about um, uh, the relationship that the father has with the clan, and uh, and and the insults that people get if you're actually sleeping with the uh, the concubines or the wives of the of the head of the clan here, um, or even the clan head himself. Either of that's inappropriate, but it's interesting that the that the um, the Hebrew uh, midrashim, the, the the Jewish sages, they kind of they kind of um, comment on both chances. Well, it could be this, this is inappropriate. It could be that, uh, it's inappropriate, and um, and then it actually elicits a curse from Noah. So <clears throat> this apparently are some of the abominable things that are occurring in Egypt and and in Canaan, right? Which is of course the hero. What we just read, or the villain, let me just read that uh, somehow it that sin stayed in the family, and um, and and because 
in uh, Jewish exegesis, the beginnings and the ends often occur in the same place. If the original root cause is Canaan, then when we bring the children of Israel, which land are we going to take them into to wipe them out? Canaan. Right? We're going to eventually fix the issue. And, uh, and that sort of idea runs all the way through the scriptures. The Lord, that in the fullness of time, and God will fix the issue. He'll deal with Adam by last man Adam. He'll deal with Canaan in the land of Canaan. He'll, he'll deal with uh, Jerusalem in the present and in the future. Uh, Aaron, you've got a hand raised. Yeah, I just want to say it's it's worth noting because some people might get confused with the wording in Genesis about when Noah saw what his youngest son had done to him is that the word Ben um, often means son, but it can just mean male descendant. So it could be not talking about Canaan himself, but he thought what his youngest male descendant had done, Correct. which would be his grandson, Canaan. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Excellent. And hence, you see the curse by Noah, not referencing Ham. And then yet Ham should have done something and chastised his son, but didn't. And uh, it was the, uh, the uncles that come in and fix the problem. Okay. Uh, Rabbi Shimshon from Nigeria. Shalom, everyone. Um, first, in the scripture, we, we don't have a very, very um, graphic painting of, um, you know, sexual relationship. Um, throughout the scripture, there's always euphemism that is being used and um, people are allowed to use their imagination and put the dots and um, things like that. Um, but just to also connect with what um, Paul was saying in Corinthians, um, if we look at Corinthians 5.1, um, Paul was mentioning one of the things that was I was, you know, dealt with. Is uh, If I just read it, it's a it is actually reported that there are sexual immorality among you and uh, of a kind that which is um, intolerable among the pagans. A man, you know, having his father's wife. And, you know, it's, it's so shocking that you see in the New Testament that, uh, you know, people are still, you know, practicing such kind of things. And um, why it was used that, um, you, you know, um, the father, and if you've seen your father's nakedness, it's also your mother's nakedness and vice versa is because then there, there is polygamy and people have more than one wife and um, they will want to consider, okay, no, I'm from, I, it's not my own mother's um, that I slept with or I went to sleep with one of the father's concubine. Remember that um, one of um, Jacob's did that also and it became a very big problem for him. So um, it, it's, it's very important that um, those kind of um, their pictures is painted so that people will not try to go in between the lines and say, okay, I don't know. Well, it's not directly my flesh and blood, so I, I think I can still have that, you know. Very good. It uh yes, it appears that the 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 it could side more with the fact that um Canaan did something inappropriately with the mother, and then you see it here in Leviticus, and unfortunately. Even in the New Testament, it's still going on. We haven't, um, unfortunately, uh, come up with anything new. And, uh, however, uh, the the Lord is saying, no, these are the, the the inappropriate human sexual relationships that the children of Israel are not going to have. They're going to have uh, the opposite, and this is going to be a light to the nations. This will actually reflect 
uh, moral, stable, ethical society that will produce stable families, that will produce wholeness. And somehow that's even going to have a connection to the earth itself. Louisa from London. Wasn't it in New Testament times, wasn't it um, that Greece, the Greek, in, in the Greek culture, the relationships could be with anybody, you know, male, female, young, old, and it was all completely messed up in terms of morality and sexuality. It, isn't that right? That's what I had heard from Dwight. That's what he said when he was teaching on this subject. I, I, I personally don't know. Um, any Greek scholars here who could comment on Greek society? Greek culture? Yes, Arie is back. <laughs> Arie, who, who studies Greek, and, and every time I need a Greek reference, I call this guy. Do you know much about Greek culture in terms of, like, the day? Um, I don't know about everybody with everyone, but homosexuality was very widespread in uh, classical Greece. It was particularly widespread in their armies. The soldiers routinely slept together. And in their training routines, they, uh, as they grew up, they routinely matched up men with boys. It's called pederasty. Uh, so this is was very common in ancient Greece. It was slightly less so in Rome. In Rome, homosexuality was widely accepted, but only if you were the male part of the part partnership and not the female part. Uh, the the short answer is yes, it was home, um, sexual immorality was widespread in the Greco-Roman world and well-known in the land of Israel, therefore. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, verse 8 sounds very similar to verse 7, but has a slight difference. Shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness that there's a, um, once the two have become one, then the nakedness is actually joined together, is in the first one, it's your mother, and in the second, in, in verse 7, and in verse 8, it's uh, his wife, in, indicating that even if the lady isn't, as Shimshon was saying, a blood relative, this doesn't matter, okay? This actually is um, in a relationship and, and connected in a very intimate way uh, with the father. And so while in terms of genetics, there wouldn't be an issue, but it actually is, is an issue in relation to relationships, covenantal relationships uh, between uh, man, woman, and God. So verse 9, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, which is your father's daughter, and mentions that, and your mother's or your mother's daughter. So you could even have these relationships where some men have died, new men have actually taken uh, the place, and now I've got some stepsisters. Those, all these are inappropriate relationships, and they break down the family unit. Uh, they break down uh, uh, that that strong, stable element within a community that, as we're going to see in a couple of verses, has an attachment to the land. Shimshon. Yes. Um, what What would you say in the in the leverage? Um, relationship that when somebody loses his um, wife, then um, loses his um, um, the, the husband, then the brother comes and takes the wife, you know. So how does that play into this? <laughs> because... That's a good question. We do, have, we do have that injunction, remember? 
that uh, if um, someone dies and they haven't had the opportunity to procreate, right, there's no children, then immediately there has to be a replacement. Uh, a, new, a new relationship is made with the express function of creating children. So anybody else want to help us out there? You've got an interesting little relationship going on. Is, is it actually prohibited here, do you think? Because that one has to do with brothers, but um, sometimes uh, it's always said um, the next of kin. Uh, if the brother doesn't do, then somebody within the family that is the next of kin sh should take that responsibility. And what's the big um, story in the Bible that we uh, that we get where someone doesn't do this this job? Boaz's brother or cousin. Okay, that's one. One is Boaz, there was the, the kinsman redeemer that was above Boaz, didn't do his job. But there's an earlier one, Judah. Tamar, Judah. Yeah. Judah and Tamar. Okay, yes, Judah and Tamar. Yeah, the sons, the sons uh, uh, get a bit nervous because every time someone goes <laughs> anywhere near this girl, she dies. Uh, she's you know, kind of toxic. Um, but she plays a, a, a very interesting trick. And Judah even re realizes that uh, she's actually done right. And this little trick ends up in the genealogy of uh, the Messiah. Fascinating uh, story. But yes, brothers have a, a responsibility as well. Okay. And um, so here, this seems to, what we're reading in Leviticus seems to be occurring with um, living relatives, uh, not dead ones. Um, particularly when you've got, we, we can't be married to rival sisters. Okay, we have to wait until one of them is um, actually deceased. Okay, which of course is going to beg the question: What do we do with Rachel and Leah? But anyway, let's uh, let's get to that in a, in a minute. Okay, uh, verse verse ten: Shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for the nakedness is your own nakedness. Okay, There's, there is this strong family connection that actually goes down through genealogies that. You know, flesh of my flesh, okay? that even though people are now coming several generations removed, there's actually part of you in them and need to be viewed as such. Okay. Again, this creates strong, stable society. And I think any of us would admit that once the, the breakdown of the family begins, all you can see is the breakdown of, of our culture. And I think last week we were mentioning here we have a bunch of uh, these sexual sins, but uh, Shimshon made the note, we call these sexual orientations these days. Right? They're not abominations, they're orientations. Uh, we've changed the word and, and now have allowed ourselves to have all kinds of crazy relationships, which have all become incredibly unhelpful. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. Again, close relative. There's a certain ways to treat our relatives and um, uh, intimate sexual relationships is one of them. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. She is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. Approach his wife. Uh, she is your aunt. Okay? So we're still keeping it uh, um, on the periphery. Shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. So here we have um, a relationship that's not a blood relative to you. However, she is in a covenantal relationship with somebody else. 
okay? And these are, these are forbidden. And those boundaries need to be respected. Shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Again, that connection where the woman and the man are in such a bond that if something happens to her, it is as though it happens to him and vice versa. Shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. Shall not take her son's daughter or daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. This is a depravity. Okay. And you don't take a woman as a rival wife. Right. Here's this, this key. You shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is alive. Okay. So it's great to have all these rules, but the patriarchs keep breaking them. Okay. Yep. So, um, and it's always good to just admit it, but hey, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it'd be interesting to, to see if, if there's any, um, uh, got anyone got any idea before I, I call on Mordecai, if there's a, if there's a rabbinic uh, understanding on this. These rules were not actually in place at the time we see it. Maybe we're learning lessons from their mistakes and we're, put, we're codifying it. Okay. Um, uh, again, spoken like a true lawyer. Thank you. This is what we call precedental law, is it not, Roddy? Somewhat, yeah. Or at least codification, codification of, uh, of some things that are in place. Yeah. I don't know about precedent, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I always like the, the example of, you know, don't make fire on the Sabbath. Okay, right, I get it. And then in Numbers, they find a guy picking up sticks. Eh? And they go, he's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. We don't have a law for that. Okay. So what do we do? Let's go to Moses. Moses hasn't got a clue. Moses never has a clue. He always goes to God. You ask Moses anything, he always says, just wait a second, and he goes into the tent. He has a little chat. And God says, take the guy out of the camp and kill him. I'm like, what? He's just picking up sticks. Well, might have been wanting to build a fire. And, uh, and so we have a precedence. So now we know. What can't you do on the Sabbath? You can't pick up sticks. Okay. And, uh, and, and perhaps, perhaps we're looking at the oral history of the Jewish people and we're going, whoa, look what happened to us with uh, Father, Father Jacob. Let's cancel this one out right now. Okay. But what's also interesting is you still use the blessing even to this day. May, may, may you be blessed like Rachel and Leah. Right? So even something that's wrong can be made right because of the Lord. Never, never discount the Lord being able to make anything right, make make it right. Shimshon. Yes, um, I just want to make a comment on the on the Rachel and Leah thing. Um, it, it, it's not that um, Jacob walked was doing that. Um, it's it's um, it's happened. It happened to him. I mean, we saw the game that um, Laban played, and you know, it, it was it was pushed into it. And that, of course, at that point in time, you know that the, the, the real marriage is not about the, the big ceremony they were all having. It's about the coming together. That was the real marriage, in, 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 according to the Torah. And so he, he couldn't just put her away. So he had to just stay with her and um, you know, absorb every other thing. It's, it's a bad situation that he was trying to make right. So um, I, it's not so much of an intention that went forth. Um, we could see the same thing in, in, the, in the Moabite issue when um, Noah had to, you know, um, have a relationship with his daughter. And 
they give back to um to to the to the, to those descendants of the Moabites, which um were not supposed to be so. And um but we see that God gave a, a kind of remedy later on. I, I can't remember where exactly it says the Moabites shall not enter the congregation of the righteous for 10 generations. So God was looking at how to purify these people before they can come in. So these are bad situations. They are not um they are not the standard, but um there are there was fixing there was a kind of solution that God was bringing to fix them before we before they come into the um the congregation of the righteous. So we cannot take them as a standard, but we can take them as something that has happened and um, a solution was being provided by the way. Thank you. Hey, I comment on that. Um there's there's some midrash that talk about how even though it was a horrible what they, you know what they did with Lot, that they were not worried about themselves, but they were trying to raise up seed for their for their continuation of the lineage. So I know it sounds like crazy, but there are um, there are some studies that you know some midrash that talk about how even though it was horrible, in a sense they did it because they wanted to keep the lineage. Right. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, but even though the situation is wrong, it, and and even for right intentions, it's still wrong. And then God still finds a way to make the wrong right. Right. The rectification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially when it goes to do with um, saving lives, you know, like Yeshua said during the Shabbat that um, if somebody's um, ship falls into the well, you you rescue it in the Shabbat because there are exception to the rules. Um, yes, if they find themselves in a place that there was nobody else and they needed to progenitate, then they need to do that. They need to, they, they, they might be allowed to do that, just like Adam and Eve. Um, you'll find out that at the, at the initial time, people were marrying cousins and it was just permissible because that was the only way because everybody will just know themselves. There is no way they could have been able to have people from distant places. So uh, at that point in time, it's about um, um, keeping life and preserving life. So it, it should be acceptable then. But of course, when we are now in the land, we're now in the tribes, then um, we, we cannot go back to that era. Correct. Which sister produces the Messiah? Tamar is in there. No, Rachel or Leah? Oh, Leah. Leah. The first one. Yeah, Leah. And, uh, you know, the, the one that the, sometimes is described as unloved or the one that wasn't wanted or the one that the, 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 the wife of, of, of trickery from um, her father, you know, all kinds of things. And all of that may be true. Yeah. Um, but it, again, the absolute grace of God to say, you know, look what I can do. I can take anything wrong and I can make it right. Which is awesome. So, so in terms of like the blessings for Rachel and Leah, they're counted as like equal, right? In terms yes. of the family. Yes. And as you said, they still, we still bless people. I mean, daughters with their names. It's like, it's a cool thing. Yeah. So uh, I think that's a, another good sign of God's, uh, God's grace. However, that doesn't mean because it happened in the past and God can make it all better, we should all go out and keep sinning. Um, what is, what is, there's, a, there's a phrase in the New Testament, uh, shall I keep sinning so that grace can abound? Wow. <laughs> the obvious answer is no. <laughs> but uh, so, so here we have this um, injunction, the people that you've come from uh, do this. Right, and uh, uh, if anyone knows, 
uh, the lineage of the Egyptians, what was one of their big issues that the pharaohs of Egypt did? Well, they considered themselves as gods. I think that was the biggest thing for me, at least. I don't know, maybe the. <laughs> no, that, that's a big one. Hi, I'm God. No, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, um, they, they married their sisters. They kept oh, the court was trying to keep the bloodline pure, and it ends up with you know their kings dying off at 16, 17. Yeah, all, all kinds of issues. Um, and so you know, this is not the way it's meant to be. Uh, and uh, well, I guess what we assume is because the Lord says it here that the Canaanites are doing the same thing. Um, anyway, all right. Where are we now? Which verse? We are at uh, 19. You shall not approach uh, a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanliness. So there is that issue of uh, being clean in, in all the appropriate ways. And um, this is taken quite seriously in the Jewish tradition. Is it not, Mordecai? Yes, sir. It's still being used and it's still very alive tradition. That's why we have two beds, as we have. Uh, Spoken about when women enter that period, they don't sleep together. And you asked me the question, how does the man know that the period has ended? You remember? I did. I was like, how does he know? <laughs> well, she doesn't write the letter, so she just goes and tells. Oh, is that simple? Okay. I thought there was like some special code word or something, you know. You sort of <laughs> the say code word is Animuhan. And oh, is that why I'm ready? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, we, we're trying to get some um, new bedding and beds for this house, and uh, okay. yeah, and and trying to find those beds that that are single but that join together and separate that and, and come together quite nicely. Um, I think the only way to, to find that is actually in the Orthodox uh, shops. Yes, yes, I think so because I can't find them in any of the normal one, the normal ones. That's not the right word to say. The non-Orthodox shops. Okay. Okay. So, and, and so in, in hotels in Israel, um, you don't have double beds. You have twin rooms. Yeah, we do have. If someone is interested in booking, shoot us an email. Christchurch does. <laughs> but in a, in, a, in, in a lot of hotels of, of, of Israel, it, they're all double beds, uh, separate beds uh, to keep this issue um, all nice. But and I don't cool. understand. Can't you just... Why couldn't you still sleep in the big bed, but just stay on your side? Is it, I mean, is that sinful to even be like, I don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, is that like, you have to be in separate beds? You know what I mean? Like, is that part of the culture? Like you can't even be touching like. Yeah. So, so, some, some traditions can be quite serious in terms of touching uh, women. And you see those issues in, in the new Testament, right? The woman with the issue of blood. And uh, uh, and you can you can see Orthodox men literally trying to cross the road whenever they see women uh, walking towards them, and um, uh, so they're trying to maintain a, a sense of purity. Uh, we we might consider it a bit over the top. But is that because they're unclean? So then the men don't want to get unclean by even touching them. Is right. that what is that is that it? Okay. That's what they're doing. And they try not to touch the things that she touches. Correct. Yeah, they try. Yeah. Teresa. Um, two things. Uh, certainly my rabbi would never shake my hand because of that very risk. 
Right. And just and, and, and any woman's hand. Um, yeah, when I was in Golders Green a few years ago, I read quite a bit about the rules of Nidder. And uh, it was, you know, just in a bookshop. So it was only a quick read. But it seemed that really, well, quite a challenge for the woman, I have to say, because if she had her period, it seemed that, and Motti will be able to correct me if I've got this wrong, but as I understood it, that she couldn't touch her son during that time if she had a child. And if her husband was ill in bed, there was a whole debate about whether she could minister to him, you know, help, you know, whatever you have to do if someone's, someone's ill. So, yeah, there was an awful lot about it. And I, I didn't yeah. have to say from a personal Western, you know, point of view, it seemed, oh, it seemed grim, really. <laughs> yes. No, I get it. From a Western uh, yeah. take, it is quite grim. Yeah. Um, and looking at this, the, the Leviticus, you think, my gosh, I think they might have gone a little overboard. However, um, they are taking it very seriously, okay, and perhaps going a bit over the top. But um, the maybe uh, you could describe it, Aaron, as a, a building a fence around the law. Yes, that's <laughs> almost it. a literal one. <laughs> yes, yeah, a literal yeah. fence around the law. Yeah. No, I understand. It's just that I just thought, oh my goodness, these women they have to put up with quite a lot, and it's yeah. quite a tough life. Uh, yeah. yeah, praise the Lord for the God's gift of women. Yes, yes. Well, co context and time is the issue here from Ireland. There wasn't the products available for women. Sure. There is today. Okay. All right. Yes. So it was a huge problem. Okay. Uh, we don't didn't have access to the pharmacy like we do today, uh, in in three or four thousand years ago. So. Um, Things were a little different for our, our, our ladies out there in the desert. Okay. Um, so, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. This is um, uh, now adultery, yes? Yeah. yeah. Although why we couldn't just say that, I'm not 100% sure. But um, uh, I tried to see if there was a, in, 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 in commentary, as to why, which just, just seems like adultery, where you won't sleep with your neighbor's wife, why it wasn't actually just said it that way. But it's, it's, it's grouped in here. And the result is uncleanness, which seems a bit strange, okay, as opposed to, hang on, you've sinned, and we will, uh, uh, once we catch you, angry husband might do something. But no. Anyway, so while we've been talking, for 20 verses now, or 14 verses, in, in about inappropriate human sexuality, largely to do with the father or the men, okay? Okay, the, the father is the head of the household and how that's relating to the clan. Suddenly, we switch to a form of idolatry, and it's a poignant one. Not just any idolatry. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Um, so who is this guy, Molech, and why do we mention him out of all the non-deities out there? Any idea? Yes, it's kind of an idolatry that they used to do, probably in Egypt, and they, I think that Jews learned from them. Of course, I don't practice this. I don't know exactly how it was, but it says like the child used to pass through the fires 
between the fires, something like that. It's like it's all this stuff is all about the Jews um, not practicing the stuff that they saw in Egypt. So Mole is not a thing. Mole is a form of idolatry that was being practiced in Egypt. All right. Because, yeah, because in terms of like the name Molech, I couldn't uh, see that as, as part of the um, Egyptian pantheon. He's spoken of as being the abominable uh, the Ammonites, you know, the, so the god of the Ammonites. So Ammon is, uh, is actually on, not in Canaan. This was happening in Jerusalem before the exile in Jeremiah's day. This is true. This, it didn't go away. It's mentioned here as don't do this, and it, which is funny. You know, every time God says don't do this, we just keep doing it anyway. Um, yes, it, it's still going on. And the wisest of wise men built uh, uh, altars to this guy. Amazing, Solomon, yeah. Yes. Amazing. It's crazy. Think, yes. Amazing what? That he would do that after so much wisdom. He, he yeah. went after it's yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This is 1 Kings 11, yeah. verse 7. Thank you. 1 Kings 11, 7. Okay. What does it say, Noel? Would you like to go ahead and read for us? Okay. Um, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who, who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Yeah. Um, which is just incredible. Uh, which, which there's a, a discussion, a rabbinic discussion, which, which they, they get quite serious into and goes for quite a few pages. Is Solomon, does he have a place in the world to come? Yes or no? Yes, of course, because some say just say, okay, I'm not trying to cleanse anybody's names, okay? I'm not a lawyer like Lordy, but so sages say that he repented. So that's the thing. He's a great king. Some, some say, some say others. So, of course, we don't have an exact answer in Judaism as we don't have for anything. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, it's quite the thing. Teresa. Um, yeah, in my Humash, it says Molech was an idol whose worship, as described below, was prevalent in Canaan. It is the only sin in the entire chapter that does not involve sexual conduct, but it's included because, like immorality, its practice contaminated the land and led directly to the divine expulsion of the Canaanites. Right. And there's talking about it being idol worship, doesn't say anything more than that about who he is. Right. I haven't read it all, but that's essentially it. In the um, in the in the in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, the biggest sin that we find uh, there is idol is is idol worship. This constant chasing after things that are not gods. And then when you get into the New Testament, uh, you know, into the Second Temple period, we've done done away with idolatry. We don't find them anymore in archaeology. But what's what are the uh, um, what are we constantly talking about? Sexual immorality. So, um, and, and they're linked here together, even though it's only by one verse. Um, and it's interesting that this is the, as you, as the, as you mentioned, Teresa, the only uh, sin in this chapter that is not detailed uh, to do with human sexuality. Yvonne from Brazil. I'm looking at Ahaz in uh, 2 Kings 16, verse 3 where he uh, he um, walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burdened his son as an offering. 
according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So I know there, I know Neville had uh, read that about the Moabites. I also heard that, you know, possibly with the Canaanites. Okay. Yep. So the, the so Malachim Kings 2 uh, attributes the uh, this form of idolatry to the Canaanites. And uh, yeah. yeah, which is, I think, what you were talking about, Mordecai. Yes, sir. That, and that's what it said here, didn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, in no, we'll get, we'll get to our day and age in a minute. <clears throat> so, uh, verse where are we up to? Twenty-two. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. All right. So. Yeah. So clear, right? So obvious. So clear. But yet. Yeah. Yet many churches preaches, and yet they have, you know. Yes. Even the priests, right? Yes. Yeah. That's it's crazy. Very unfortunate. What is listed here as abominations now just becomes orientations. And and people don't really, our culture, our world is losing the ability to label sin as sin. Now we have stupid sins like the sin of racism or the sin of intolerance, as though those are, um, as though it's an actual sin. Um, which is very sad. And so you have this, uh, this prohibition. It's only one sentence. Okay? Most of the, um, the rules had been with male to female, sort of the heterosexual sins. And, then, and now you cannot lie with an animal. If you'll not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean, okay? Whether any, any, and neither shall any woman give herself to an animal. And so that now we actually get actual male and females coming into it. Before then, it was actually largely to do with just males uh, against sinning against their parent, uh, the, the father. So bestiality, homosexuality, these are definitely clearly uh, abhorrent. And while they are not re-mentioned in the Gospels, they are re-mentioned in the epistles. Okay, And uh, some people's arguments for pro-homosexuality, we'll say, well, Jesus didn't talk about it. True, but um, Paul certainly did. But the other thing they say, Aaron, or that I've heard over here anyway among some Christians is that the Old Testament, you see, doesn't apply anymore. That's, right. you know, that's that's one of the arguments. You know, it's it's kind of that's old and, and et cetera. That is, a, that is often used, often thrown. It doesn't Correct. say to follow that line. If we follow that line, Teresa, then we should, because I agree with you, that is the, that is the charge, uh, you know, that's Mosaic law. If that's true, then all of these laws are off the table. Well, probably they'd say that because they say, uh, basically, I mean, pro probably without going into the detail, obviously they wouldn't think it through, would they? But the other comment is that, you know, we're in a different age now. Yeah, you know, we're in like the modern era. It, it's it's not relevant anymore, and uh, that yeah, that's that's the most prevalent argument I have heard, and I've heard it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it links into the first there was law, then there was grace idea, right? You know, and that's still very much around from you know from what I hear. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we were discussing last week, that uh, that. God is trying to make it clear, you're actually not meant to be influenced by the world. You are meant to influence it. So you're not meant to do what the Egyptians do. 
You're not meant to do what the Canaanites do. You're actually meant to reflect something different to them. They're meant to adopt your practice. They're meant to say, or as Moses says in Deuteronomy, you know, what other nation has such fantastic laws? That actually binds them all together and, and, uh, and their land responds. Um, yeah. Okay, Neville. Yes, yeah, so just in connection with this situation where you get some proponents of homosexuality will um, produce a stunt like they'd hold up a blank piece of paper and say, this is what Jesus taught against homosexuality. Yeah, yeah in other words, zip. But that's <laughs> not the point. What You can hold up a piece of paper and say, this is how many people were disagreeing with the Mosaic law. That's why it was so discussed not at all. Yes, it, but... I like to say when someone argues that with me, and, and I've had that argument, because obviously they must have read it on Wikipedia or something. Aha, look, I gotcha. They well, actually, uh, Yeshua does say in Matthew 5, I actually haven't come to abolish the law. And this kind of in it. <laughs> so um, anyway, yes, thank you. Uh, Janet from Canada. Yeah, I don't know if we've, Gone, gone sort of into our present day, I guess we are. Um, I was just thinking how how very few leaders, I mean, governmental leaders, would make any sort of statement. And I've just been interested to see that the new prime minister of Hungary is a, is a Christian. And she, I saw an interview with her, and she, she made it very clear as she was speaking that um, marriage is between a man and a woman which is uh, a real rarity to find. And I'm just, I mean, that, that's going against the current, I think, of, of most governments, certainly government of Canada that legalized marriage between men or between two women a few years ago. And um, it's, uh, it, it seems to be another argument as well. If, if, if it's based on love, it's this whole sort of thing that, you know, if, it, if it's, if it if it's based on love and even exclusivity, then it's then it's okay because that's that that's what a commitment is about. And um, yeah, so anyhow, I just thought I'd bring that up as maybe as as a country to watch and see what 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 happens there. There are some nations that still um, consider the practice um, to be against the law. Of course, we can mention probably most of the Islamic ones, um, but one of the big ones is Russia. Okay. Yes, Putin's Russia. You know, we always go, well, you know, aren't they horrible? Well, yeah, go try and be gay in Russia and see how far you get. Because, okay. yeah. yeah, strongly, strongly, that whole nation has never, um, ever. Can I say something? Yes, go right ahead, Mordecai. I just, I just want to say something about the mosaic law or just it, this applies to me and it's, this doesn't apply to me. So, you know, like when you believe, you believe in as, it's, as, a, as a whole. You know, it's, I have some Christian friends here. They don't like Paul. So I'm like, how come? The New Testament is the one unique book. You cannot just say I'm obeying the teachings of Jesus and I, I don't care what, the, what does Paul uh, have to say. You know, like, but unfortunately, there is no authority to control this. And we keep seeing these new uh, religious organizations, churches that just show up and by saying, okay, I don't agree with the Old Testament, I agree with the New Testament, but not all of it. Like, it's so complicated. If you believe, you believe. Believing in something is different than just like picking up something that we like and 
ignoring the other verses we don't like. It's, it's, there's a huge problem there, you know? Just say, I don't believe in it. It's easy to say that. But don't, don't try to, like, uh, convince others to do what you are doing. That's a big problem. Because, uh, you know, we, I keep seeing it around in the churches, big churches, that the priests, that the so-called priests and bishops, they allow... Into, you know, the kind of homosexual marriages and also so, some other stuff. And they try to convince other Christians that they are, in fact, doing the right thing, not we. It's a huge problem. They don't try to play with Bible. There's only one Bible. It's very obvious. It is written in a plain way, as we have studied in Leviticus and uh, the Torment. Yep. Thank you. Uh, Yvonne. Yeah, the, the, the worst, I think, than Russia is the Chechen Republic because Ramzan, the, the, the leader, he uh, executed all of the homosexuals. And then when they said, or he, yeah, he, when they asked him, you know, uh, he says, well, what are you talking about? We have no homosexuals here in, in Chechnya. <laughs> so he's horrible. But the comment, though, the, 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 the whole thing about how, um, you know, oh, the Old Testament, the, the how in Christianity, there's the revelation is progressive, and that was Old Testament. That's New Testament. That's very interesting because we have that in the Talmud, yeah. and it's like when you know when when um, Rabbi Akiva when he had the new revelation and Moses sat in the eighth row and and he had no idea what Rabbi Akiva was Rabbi Akiva was talking about. Then he said, "Oh, he was referring to the you know to Moses," and then Moses is like, "Oh, okay, great." So even though Moses didn't understand it, whatever they had. The new, the new revelation was so-called based on what Moses had said. And so it's interesting that it's just you have that everywhere, this new <clears throat> revelation, this new progression. And uh, you can find that in many, many areas. Yeah, we, 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 people, that's right. The, the, the label is the progressives. We're progressing, but no one ever can tell you where we're progressing to. No one can actually say what's the end point. What does society look like once we have progressed? Um, unfortunately, it just goes um, quite backwards. One of the things we have to remember, and we have to make it 100% clear, um, we all want our shepherds to preach the truth. Homosexual people are the same as everybody else. They need to be with the Lord. Okay? They need the Messiah. They need the gospel. They need salvation. And so what we can't do is we, we, we've got to try and not ex exclude them from the community, but at the same time, not condone. We can't say, look, you know, um, you're all okay and you don't need Jesus. Just, just come uh, to church. So we have to uh, uh, keep an eye on that, okay? It's one of these things that comes down to grace and truth. Yes, and, and it's it's a difficult balance to make, and as clearly, it, churches are found. But Jesus was full of it, so follow him. Amen. Nice one. Yes, thank you. Grace and truth. Uh, Shimshon. Yeah, thanks, um, Aaron. Um, I used to wonder if um, we have gay bishops, we have gay pastors, um, if they have this part of the scripture in their Bible that they teach. And when they come to it um, in the book of um, Leviticus, as we are reading chapter 18, if you go to verse 22, it's very clear about um, gay relationship that the Lord is not in support of it. 
So I, when when I hear that um, there is a gay rabbi, and I'm wondering what's the scripture, what's his backing that you know he gets this from? Then another thing that the church has been um, that the church has failed to do for over the years, and is putting us on the back foot, is that we we don't know how to defend the scripture, and so we allow people to dictate how we should rule our life. No, that is um, especially when people begin to describe. Um, the, the the Torah that you know I've heard pastors use words like oh that's a Draculan law you know describing the Torah because it's wow. an eye for an eye that's the law of God how can how can a pastor now say that that is um, a Draculan law I mean which is supposed to be the law of God and so when we push it gradually ourselves in this um, sometimes incredible for for a lot of people. Um, in trying to put the balance, like you said, um, I, I don't think that uh, we should um, um, compromise because you remember when we talk about sexual um, activities during the... We just lost Chimchon. He was on a roll. He often he gets like this and then we lose you. Okay, all right, we'll continue. All right, guys, now we're going to go on to the land. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. So... <clears throat> This is relation to holiness, unholiness, cleanliness, and oh, cleanness, okay, and, um, and being unclean. So part of our light and witness to the world is also a state of purity and purity, a state of cleanness and uncleanness, not just a, a case of, well, I'm sinning and not sinning. There's, um, there's, there's also this state of purity as well and uh, these other nations have become unclean that uh, the lord is going to be taking them out what began with canaan is going to end in canaan and the land had become unclean there is this covenantal relationship that goes from family to, to the land okay? yes yes great great point it's it saturates into the ground and and um, one of the things i delight to hear from Israeli visitors when they come to Christchurch is they'll say, they'll walk onto the compound and they'll say, well, it really feels different here. I mean, all they did was walk on, 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 on ground, right? And somehow, you know, the prayers, the faith, the blood of the saints, you know, for 200 years is leached into the earth and it's still there. It resonates there and people can feel it. Can I say something about this verse, 28? Yes. You know, there's a, there is a book called Targum, uh, refers this verse as the land of Israel. Now, of course, it's, it's talking about the land of Israel uh, because the Jewish commentary book. It says the land of Israel cannot retain transgressors. So, and Targum says, whenever people don't obey God and its law, the land of Israel empties it out. So the land empties itself of the transgressors. By famine, earthquakes, wars, fire, it happens to the people, and then eventually they left, they leave, the land empties. It's how powerful it is, right? We have like this earthquakes, still fire going on during the summer. There's a message from God in it. Yep, thank you. And I sometimes look in history, and I see that that has also been replicated all over the, the earth, is, um, is sort of this idea. I mean, it's, it's replicated in Paul 
when Adam ate the fruit, the earth was cursed, but it wasn't the earth's fault. It's not like the earth turned around and said, stop, Adam, I'm really sorry I couldn't stop you. But um, uh, the earth was cursed. And Paul says creation is groaning for its redemption. Right? It's, it desires also to have it all made right. It desires, once again, the presence of the Lord on it and, uh, and people being, being clean. So the land is in a relationship with us, and, um, and so we actually have an effect. And, um, and the land vomits out its inhabitants, as um, Mordecai is mentioning. The, the text is actually supports that, that uh, God does it, but at the same time is in a partnership with the, with the earth itself. 26, and you keep my statutes, my rules, and you'll do none of these abominations. Again, that, that um, dis- discussion, you will not be like the world. You're in it. And as we mentioned uh, last week, which uh, Vida had, had made a point to, is that God was bringing his people into a land that was unclean. It's not like, you know, I'm going to take you to the promised land. It's absolutely fantastic land. It's flowing with milk and honey and absolutely everything is perfect and nothing's wrong. Rather, you know, I'm going to take you to a land that's full of Canaanites. They're absolutely horrid. We've got to get rid of them. Like, whoa. You know? And why can't you take me to, like, a nice country? Uh, <laughs> Ireland, you know, for, for if you love uh, green, like lots of green. Uh, but, it's, but it's an interesting thing is that the humans – have the opportunity to also do a cleansing of, uh, of the land and then preserving its cleanness. Uh, to move none of these things, either the native or the stranger. So either it was the Israelite, the actual citizen, or the person who's now uh, joining himself and living in your land. So you're meant to be a light to the nations. Obviously, start at home. The people that are within the community, they are meant to reflect and, and actually act like you. Mordecai? Yes, I just want to add, you, add something to what you say. Today, I went to the north to see my rabbi friends, and I was just talking about this chapter. He told me the reason why God brought Israelis to Israelite to, to have a trial with them. So let them uh, have a trial time by cleansing the land, then, then they will be the light to other nations and clean all the world and bring to God of Israel. I don't know if we succeed or not, <laughs> but... This was like a trial time. That's why he brought them to the guy. Of course, he promised, but then he brought them to the land, which was in, you know, the idol worshipers were everywhere, Canaanites, all the people of the land. Well, eventually Jews end up like being one of them. But anyway, so most of us succeeded, I guess. We're meant to have an effect on the world, not allow the world to have an effect on us. And too much, too many of our communities and our churches just change their theology on the dictates of the whim of, of the world. And it's not meant to be that way. We're meant to stay and, uh, true to the, to the word of God, and that's meant to affect uh, the creation that's around us. Aaron. Yeah, sorry, just jumping in. Uh, one of the favorite, one of my favorite ways I've ever heard it put is that the church is a boat. We're in the waters of the world. We're supposed to be floating and going around in the world, pulling people in the boat. The problem is we let the water in. Yeah. And now we're sinking. Yep. Yep. Then we wonder why we're in trouble. Why we're in. Yes. Yes. All right. So the, uh, the land will vomit you out. So then 
the land vomits out the Canaanites, and then the same rules are actually applied to Israel. So, you know, we can't, we, we, we've got to make sure that any attitudes that we might have of pride, of being holier than thou, and God won't judge us, and all those kinds of things, they hang on. Um, God's the Lord. He doesn't change. So things that make him upset in the past, they still actually make him upset. The things that bring him joy, they also still bring him joy. His desire to walk with Adam in the, in the garden, that desire remains exactly the same with us, which is also a very nice thought. Uh, and so here the, the land will vomit you out, okay, O Israel, uh, uh, just as it vomited the nations out um, before you. So it has a... Um, it has a, it's, not, it's alive, but not in the sense that it's a god or a deity or anything, but it has a, um, it has, it consents. So anyone who does any of these abominations, those people need to be excommunicated, cut off, removed, which is something that our communities are not very good at. Um, I mean, Paul doesn't do it very often, although there are a few examples in the New Testament where he does say, look, okay, that guy actually has to be out of the, out of the community, um, and uh, phrases like you know I release him to Satan and things like that. Well, we're not always one hundred percent sure what he means by that, but there is this this biblical idea of some some sin actually has to be removed from the camp. It can't stay within the community if it's going to remain un, uh, unrepentant. Um, that doesn't stop people from coming back. Okay, the Baal Teshuvas, the, uh, the people to repent. There's always the call to repentance, um, so long as it's a day. But we have to, I think we have to admit that many of our communities are not comfortable with, with, um, with actually asking people to perhaps leave. We're not very good at it. Um, and, uh, and, and that actually might be to, a, to our detriment. Um, so maybe we all have grace and wisdom to know how to, to handle these things. Lord, bless, bless our shepherds. Okay, um, Yvonne. Yeah, it's interesting with the concept of the land. They either um, are driven out or they, they, they're, they're basically cut off. They, they die. They have a premature death because then you see the Amorites and the Canaanites and they, they take them over. So there's a premature death also. But um, the interesting thing is that it's like leaving Egypt, a very pagan idol worship nation, and you're going in like they're leaving Egypt and they're looking and, you know, Baal Safon, they're up and they're seeing in the north, they're seeing Baal worship. It's like leaving and then coming into another pagan land. It's just always you're going from one to another, seven nations. Then you have up in the north, you have Baal. I mean, there's just so much. And it's just, it really is the separation, the sanctity, you know, the whole, like to separate and, and it's us, it's, it's, you know, whether it's in Canada or, or Chatham, Illinois, or, or Jerusalem or Turkey, Turkey, it's just amazing how it really is. They're leaving one pagan and coming into seven and um, the challenge. Yep. And it's a challenge for the church. And as Shimshon is, is mentioning, he said uh, he wanted to mention that John the Baptist confronted the sexual perversion of his time when Herod um, took his brother's wife, which was a no-no, and, um, and yet uh, not, not many of our leaders want to, want to confront sin today for all kinds of reasons, um, and I think that that can cause um, 
uh, well, it does. It's a, it's not a good issue. It leads, doesn't lead anywhere positive. Yeah. Any other comments on this chapter? So here we have, now, this is part of the Mosaic law. Would anyone here say that none of this applies to us today per se? Some people might. In, uh, in a, like, I would say that we need to very carefully consider what is written here in the light of the teachings, the person, and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not enough to take these and use them as a system of rules. I'll share perhaps one particular challenge that I occasionally grapple with, not in an immediate sense because I, I'm not in the company of people at the moment, but is homosexuality. We have here some very strict rules against it. And I, it's, the Bible uses very strong language, abominations, perversion. There are some also punishments. I don't see them here, but I, I think they're elsewhere. Uh, do we continue to view homosexuality in this way in our modern society? I don't. I don't believe that uh, this approach is helpful. Does Jesus neglect? and ban them because of a background, certainly not. In the present, it is not just a matter of actions. It's not just external actions. These are deeply ingrained, let's call them lustful patterns, corrupted patterns, perverted patterns. And they don't start just with the first act of the person who, who indulges in it. It goes away back. There are familial patterns, their abusive patterns from childhood that form these things deep in the human soul. And I'm not content that to think that Jesus would just quote the rule and put a person out. There are internal issues here. I don't have a solution, but I'm posing a question in light of Jesus and his person and his nature and the ministry that he commended to us. I think there are evil spirits involved here. Personally, I haven't in the issue of homosexuality, I've not personally dealt with it. I have once or twice in other areas, but I think we have a general inadequacy of not applying and going deep enough in applying the Lord's commission to represent him faithfully in the earth you know, and exercising spiritual gifts. I'm not saying that I have, but I'm challenged and I, I'm sharing the challenge. I think there's more for us to discover here than a system of rules and condemnation. Right, that's, we're not meant to be talking about it like a system of rules and condemnation. We're well, I think it's easy for us to do, and I think, in fact, yeah. we, we've been tempted to do that this evening in, in looking at the, uh, the letters on the paper, and that's what the letters on the paper say. There's no doubt about it. I agree with it. I'm not canceling the letters on the paper. No, no we're not, not doing any of that either. Yeah, well, ju justice is always tempered with mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. How to apply that in the modern world is a huge challenge. If someone has some light here, I'd be very helped, very glad to hear. Uh, Andrew, do you have a hand raised? I didn't. I was just welcoming uh, Aria's response there. Because I, while I, I think we ha absolutely have to uphold the law of God, the way we approach people caught up in these difficult situations is all important. Uh, and just to take a self-righteous approach to it and say they are wrong and put them out of the way, I don't think is, is does the church any good. Um, so I was really just applauding what Aria's response. Right. Uh, I'm not, I don't think we've said anything wrong this evening, but we just need to uh, 
be compassionate uh, towards people that are caught up in these very, very difficult situations. Right. So this is the tension is, and I hope that's what we've been saying, is that you can have compassion on, on someone who's in a state of sin, but you're not condoning the sin. So we've had, for example, homosexuals, homosexual uh, couples uh, and people who are in this, this issue attend Christchurch, but you won't hear from the pulpit that this is not a sin. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So, so somebody who is engaged in an active homosexual relationship is welcome to come to church, right? But we're not going to stand up at the pulpit and say, this is okay. Yes. Right? Yeah, sure. Yes. And so, yes, this is, so this is all part of the, what is the, the church's right way of being able to, or the community's right way of being able to say, these are not the appropriate human sexual relationships that the Lord wants his people to behave. He wants his people to not behave like the, the Egyptians or the Canaanites. This is the appropriate behavior. And I hope that's the way it, we've been talking about it. If you haven't heard that, then I apologize for the way it's been done. But these are the appropriate sexual uh, human relationships. Okay, Linda, you got a hand raised? Yeah, I, I had a couple of, well, I still have got a couple of um, really close friends when I lived in England who were in a gay sexual relationship, two guys. And, and one of them said to me once, um, I, I, would, I would really love to come to church with you. And, and I could see he genuinely meant it. He, he felt quite passionate about it. And I said, I said, of course you can come to church with me. I'd love you to come to church with me. And he said, no, I can't. And I said, yeah, you can. He said, I can't because he said, you know, I can't because I'm gay. And I said, I said, even though you're gay, you can still come to church. And he said, he was really, he looked really sad. And he said, no, as much as I would love to, I can't because I know if I came to church, I would have to change my lifestyle. And he said, I, I'm just not able to do that. And I just felt so sad at the time that, you know, that he felt like that. Right. I think that, yes, and I think that that is feeling isn't, isn't just relegated to, to homosexuals. I mean, there's probably a lot of people who, everybody, yeah, yeah, is that we're all challenged by the Lord to change our behaviour. Yeah, and some people choose to stay away because they don't want to change their behaviour. Yeah. Okay, Teresa? Um, yeah, I know somebody who had, I won't say anything other than very limited, who has done a lot of work with, who's a Christian, obviously, who's done a lot of work with homosexuals. And in that person's church, um, they actually let them, you know, that they can come into church, they can attend the service, but they won't, but the mess, you know, their behaviour is not condoned. It's totally clear. Where the church is standing, and I think, I think I've, because I've, I've, I've had quite a bit to do with some homosexuals in different situations, and uh, I've, I've, I, I've really wrestled with this, and I just think that we have to, as was said earlier, we have to maintain the truth and be clear about that. But I do think we need to treat them in a loving way because they need, in any case, if we treat them in a, a harsh way. 
we're not even helping them. Well, I know I'm not allowed to say they need healing. I mean, publicly, but you know, we're not, they're not able to feel safe enough in an environment because one of the things you need, if you're doing something, you know, the church thinks is so bad, you're never going to feel safe enough to actually say, look, this is what I'm struggling with. And you know, I do need help. So I really feel very strongly about that because we can make church feel so unsafe for anybody to admit to anything that will be totally disapproved of. And I think we have to not say we think it's okay, do what you want, but just be kind and loving and, and help them to feel safe without condoning anything that is not that is against the Lord. So that Absolutely correct. And it's that tension that's been mentioned by a few people now. How do we maintain compassion? And and it and it's not easy. You know, talking about homosexuality is actually an easier one. Let's throw another one out there. Child pornography. What happens if you've got people who are into this? And you go, hang on, you know, we how do I have compassion at the same time say, you know, you really need help. Right. You know, this is this is actually uh, there are it's it's a it's not an easy one, but we have to constantly walk with the Lord on this. We've constantly got to have as much or try have as much grace and compassion and truth. And REA mentioned something which is which we haven't talked about because the text itself doesn't say, but Paul does interlude a little bit that behind these things is, is the demonic activity. Okay. And um, is that there's this? There is a, a, a sense of a, of the dark spiritual side of this, and um, and how does the church then wrestle and tackle that? You know, um, could you imagine if we went around, you know, pouring holy water on everybody and trying to cast out demons? Um, some churches do, not many, but some, some churches do. It's a it's a tough one, but it's not something that we can ignore. Okay, because we're meant to be salt and light, and we're meant to be we're in the world, but we're not meant but we're meant to be affecting the world, not actually have the world affect us. Uh Moti? So yeah, what you said is true, Reverend. I just want to add something to what you say. Um I also agree with Adio some uh, with some of the things he said. I think we shouldn't ignore them, we shouldn't try to judge them, but at the same time, we shouldn't allow them to lead a community. You know, there are churches that are being lit by uh, homosexuals. And can you imagine a kid goes to church and sees that guy as, or a woman as a leader, and then you will try to teach to him or her that that's, that's a wrong thing that he is doing, but you shouldn't do that. And he, would, he, might, he might ask you back by saying, then why is he leading here? But uh, we, had, we had this, this uh, discussion back in the Yeshua. Some rabbis think that people were born like that biologically. And some, some others think that they just, they just choose to be. I don't think that people choose it. I mean, I don't think that people just wake up one day and say, oh, let me try something different today. I don't think that's, that's the part. For therefore, we need to help them. We need to welcome them into our communities. I never had such a, a thing in a community back in time. But if I would have, I would probably just welcome them and I would try to be friend with them and I would try to help them come to the to the point. You know what I'm talking about? I, I wouldn't just start lecturing them because nobody wants to be directly lectured by 
somebody. We need to understand what's going on with her or his life first. And then, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing that we cannot ignore. It's there. And it's, it's widely there. All right. Thank you. Yes. Once you try and bring in biology, it gets really, really dumb. Or chemical imbalances or all those. Sorts. I'm not a doctor, but that's what, no. that's what we had. You know. Right. No, no. Right. It's, it's part of the argument. I read, a, I read a statement one time by a well-known U.S. politician who said, God made me this way. Yeah. Which I found very disturbing. But you have to be very careful how, what type of answer you give. Which God? How did he make you? How did this happen? Yeah. That, that, that's, those are good points. Because there's this darker side to idolatry. There's a darker side. To, to sinful activity. And uh, not to say that, you know, there's a, there's a demon under every table or every sin is because of a, a demon's fault, but that, that realm exists and uh, can, can have a very strong influence. However, the, um, the moral of the story, so to speak, is there is a, the Lord has a direct discussion on human sexuality. Doesn't do it very often, okay? And um, but it is it is it is put in here that there are appropriate things, uh, codes of behavior amongst families, and there are inappropriate sexual relationships, and um, that doesn't dissolve, dissolve us away from um, compassion, mercy, kindness, or any of those kinds of things, but it because it, it still also is a a teaching and instruction from the Lord. These are the appropriate ways that families behave. These are the appropriate and helpful and healthy sexual expressions. And, uh, and the reverse, which is done in these other nations, was inappropriate and, uh, and, uh, and very much unhelpful and had an effect not only on societies, not only on people, not only on um, uh, the children of these relationships, but also on the very ground itself. Andrew? I was just going to say, in our local church, when there have been issues of sexual sins, particularly within the leadership, and they have been appropriately dealt with, it's always led to growth in the church. Oh, yeah? Great. Em emphasis on appropriately dealt with. Yes, that's very good. And, and agree that, that that person should not remain in leadership in, in that sort of circumstance. Right. Yep. And may, may all of our shepherds and those that are in positions of leadership for over the, uh, the flock, may they um, have exactly that sort of wisdom as well. Um, all right. Good. All right, guys. Next week we hit... The, uh, the big one, number 19, with all the really cool laws in it, the ones we like to quote, the ones we, uh, we, uh, uh, we, that, that reflect um, a lot about the heart of God and the holiness code. So we've had the holiness of sexual relationships. Now we go into uh, a lot of the holiness of human relationships, of interactions with each other in the appropriate way. Okay, great. Hope to see you guys next week. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Blessings. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.